0: Hi and welcome to Writing on Wednesdays, a podcast about building a healthy and sustainable writing process from beginning to end, but mostly in the middle. I'm Nicole Rokas, an author, speaker, and writing coach in Toronto. And I'm Sarah Bariza, a musician and writer living in St. Louis. Today we're talking about vulnerability and authenticity. We all know that being real sells, but how much is too much? How do you find the balance between authenticity and professionalism as writers? Plus, we'll talk about Sarah's numbered to do list strategy. So, get your pens ready, pull up a chair, and join us for a weekly Wednesday writing date. Nicole, let's get right into the thick of it the part of the show where we focus
1: in on one idea, strategy, or topic as it pertains to the writing process. And I'm curious, what made you want to talk about vulnerability?
0: Well, this has been something that I am thinking a lot about recently. My first book was published last year, and I'm coming up on my finishing my second book, which is on a topic that is a bit more personal. And I'm just trying to figure out sort of how to navigate the more public-facing part of my life that is sort of growing the more writing and speaking that I do. And I know that some writers out there struggle to be authentic in their writing. Like, they struggle to bring more of themselves into their writing, I guess I've never really had that problem. In fact, I have always had the opposite problem, which is like trying to figure out how to keep the parts of myself back that I don't really want out there.
1: Cole, this is reminding me of when we were both in graduate school and you were in a history PhD program and how you would talk about, oh, this is so hard to not like be myself on the page." as you were writing your dissertation, because like, that's not a, it doesn't follow disciplinary conventions. It wasn't appropriate for the particular setting, but I remember that being a big challenge for you because that's so much your default to just be very comfortable and being yourself on the page.
0: Yeah. I struggled when I was in academia because that kind of writing just doesn't allow for a lot of, let's say, personality or self self self-disclosure Um, I think I did eventually find a balance that worked for academic writing. The longer I've been outside of academia and that kind of writing, though, um, I've really enjoyed being able to sort of be myself in my writing. But the thing is, is I've always thought about that from the perspective of my readers. What do my readers need from me when they read my book? And kind of bearing that in mind has helped me maintain some modicum of balance. For example, I know that uh, my readers don't need me to be like raw and underdeveloped and sort of bleed on the page. That just your, makes people uncomfortable. Your readers uncomfortable. don't need you to be um, coming to them for therapy? Yeah. My readers need me to be doing my own work, and they need the version of me that they read on the page to be a kind of curated and sort of healthy and balanced version of myself. Um So I've always kind of maintained my reader's perspective in mind, but what I haven't done enough of, and what I wish I would have done more of when I was writing my book, my first book, is thought about it from my perspective. What version of me do I want to be out there for my own, I don't know, comfort level, et cetera. And I was talking about this with my husband, and trying to, my husband's not really a writer, um... But he reads all of my work and, like, edits it before it goes on to the, my publishers. And he was like, I don't get really what, what – what would you have changed about your first book if you yeah, had asked this question?
1: Because I, I don't imagine, like – like, it didn't feel like,
0: oh, there's Cole sharing too much of herself on the page or anything. It didn't right feel like and that uh, as so a he, reader. He asked me that. He's like, you know, it's a good book. What would you have changed if you had asked yourself that question? And I was like, I don't think I actually would have changed anything or at least not very much. Nothing big. But the only thing I can compare it to is, you know, when you're giving a talk or something and they give you one of those lapel mics with those little sound boxes that you tuck into your pocket or something, and they tell you, you know, don't turn it on until you start talking because everyone will be able to hear your conversations. And maybe at some point you bump it and you're having a conversation with somebody and then you realize like you actually turned the thing on accidentally and everyone's just heard something you've said and you haven't said anything bad or like <laughs> confidential or something, you just didn't realize everyone was listening. Was listening. Oh, yeah. That's how I feel about my book. It's it's like I I thought about some of these questions from my reader's perspective, but I sort of didn't think about them from my perspective, knowing that the microphone would be on. Yeah. And how that would feel like. Yeah. On mm-hmm. as loudly. Because honestly, my book has done better than I thought it would. I thought it was just going to get a small, intimate audience. And mm-hmm. it's grown and it continues to grow. So it's kind of this feeling of like, oh wait, people are listening to what I'm saying. <laughs> Crap. <Yeah. laughs> Is this also based on like this feeling that
1: you're having right now, based on how people have kind of approached you as if they already know you? And I think that that's something that maybe a lot of a lot of nonfiction writers struggle with, where it's like, oh, I read this thing where you're talking about yourself, so therefore I'm your friend. So like on the pro side that means you're really connecting with your readers. But that also is, I think, a struggle for you. And that's why you're talking about vulnerability.
0: Yeah, yeah. And trying to figure out what we've talked about boundaries was that episode nine, Um, just figuring out what the boundaries are for all involved and what I need to do for myself to feel comfortable. And, you know, something I've been working with kind of a coach slash counselor. And one of the things that he really encouraged me to do is always... You know, always envision your writing or your speaking or your coaching as though it were reaching a much bigger audience than you ever thought capable of. Like, what, how would you feel if this book became a bestseller? It, my books mm. are not going to be bestsellers, yeah. probably, but what if they did? Would, would you say something differently? And you kind of have to think about the tone you're taking and the information you're sharing. Um, on all of these different levels. What if it only reaches sort of a small intimate audience? What if it reaches a medium audience? What if it goes big? And you want it to hold up in all of those different contexts. I don't foresee the books that I'm currently writing to ever be a best, be a bestseller just because of the kind of publishers I work with. And I'm fine with that. But it, it, perhaps a book down the road, I work with a bigger publisher. Whatever the case, all your whole body of work is available for people. What it sounds like is that you're
1: talking about professionalism and realizing that you're professional in the sitting, even if you're working on a very small scale, you're still a professional. And I wonder if it's harder for you or has been harder for you in the past because you are in a, your book is published by a small industry publisher, a small niche publisher. And so you don't have an agent, you don't have a publicist, you don't have that buffer between you and the audience and you make yourself really accessible to your readers.
0: Yeah, for sure. And at the same time, though, you know, I I have kind of watched a few bigger name authors that I know. And, you know, I think the days are pretty much gone where you can have the luxury, unless you're like an older veteran writer who has no social media presence, etc. I know a lot of big name authors who are kind of have the same level of interaction with their readers as I do with mine. They're just mm-hmm. way more readers. They're out there on social media. Yeah. You can find it's their great, email addresses. It's such a great thing. But also, tricky, I don't know how really they do tricky. it. I would I would love, you know, if there are any bestseller authors listening to this, I would love to hear a conversation among bestsellers of how you manage that. Um, and and what you what kinds of things you do for yourself or you you have in place to to just kind of manage the boundaries of public facing writing and and having an audience. You know, I heard an interview
1: the other day with someone with four New York Times bestsellers, and she said that she still is the person answering her direct messages on inter- Instagram, and she talked about it as this huge pro. This was, by the way, um, Melissa Hartwig. Urban, who is the Whole30 founder. And um, I'll, I'll link to this interview in the show notes. She said she still answers all these direct messages. And she talked about it as a huge pro, because then she gets this really great sense of like what people struggle with. Because she's like, oh, I've talked with 50 people who had the same problem. It's not like I have this special insight. I just have all this ton of experience. But I, I couldn't believe that she was the one answering her direct messages. Like I can't believe that! Wow!
0: Oh my goodness! And it also gives you some control over your message that you might not have if you were having to go That's through a middleman true. and things Ooh. like that. But yeah, you really you have to be careful, and that puts even more pressure on you or onus on you to be really clear on the the version of yourself or the parts of yourself, like what your that you want to present. Is. Yeah, that you mm-hmm. want to present. Mm-hmm. Sarah, we were talking about this the other day, and you shared a really interesting quote from Brene Brown, but now I'm forgetting what it was, but I really liked it. Yeah, so Brene
1: Brown is a researcher. She's based in Houston. Probably, if you haven't read her works, you've heard of her. She's um super, super big.
0: There's a new special from her on Netflix, like a yeah, talk from
1: her. Yes, I'm, I'm saving that for as a low-hanging fruit item, actually. <laughs> it's on my list of things I want to do when I'm like laid low because <laughs> I I've, we've mentioned before, I have a toddler and I get colds uh, on a pretty regular basis. But so one of Brene Brown's recent books is Dare to Lead. And it's taking her framework of wholeheartedness and her research on shame and vulnerability and applying it specifically to people who are in leadership positions. And one thing that she talks about, and she's talked about this in other books, is how vulnerability is not the same as self-disclosure. She said, I've had enough practice to know that vulnerability is not a sympathy-seeking tool. Sharing just to share without understanding your role, recognizing your professional boundaries, and getting clear on your intentions and expectations, especially those flying under the radar, is just purging or venting or
0: gossip or a million other things that are often propelled by hidden needs. Yeah. If you hear me tapping away over here, it's because I'm going on my tablet to re- request Dare to Lead from the library. It's really good. I it, it was a kind of funny circumstance.
1: I was in the midst of reading it from the library when the head of staff where I work said, oh, look, I bought all these books for everybody on staff so we can talk about them. <laughs> so now I have oh, my own copy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's such a good book for people, um, not just leaders, but especially people who are in public facing professions. And I, I work in a church. I work with volunteers. I work with people who come in off the street, like just a really wide range of people. And I think it's so important to think about how you are able to be yourself in this professional setting. Mm -hmm. So if you're writing a book, how are you able to be yourself while still saying like, this is a particular kind of myself. It's not the same as when I'm around my family. It's not the same as when I'm around my best friends. And that's not disingenuous. It's not you know, it's not manipulative or anything. It's just No, it's
0: part of communicating. We do this yeah, all the time. Being, we we communicate yeah. differently with our spouse than we do with our mm-hmm. boss. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And that means we communicate with our readers differently. Right. And it's it's better for them and it's better for us. Like they don't want to be our therapist. Oh no. Just like we don't want to be their therapist. Or, you know, just think things like that. I think part of my struggle with this comes from the fact that I am by nature kind of a people pleaser. And that I think is one reason why when I was writing book number one, I was thinking about things so much in terms of what my readers wanted or needed from my writing tone or voice. And I feel like I'm kind of coming into this new place professionally and just as a a person where I'm like, oh, I have to think about this for what's good for me and and find, you know, find what works for me. And even if that may mean, for example, creating more boundaries or operating in a different way than my readers might have been used to up until this point. Like I recently, I, I talked about this before, I think I mentioned it in the boundaries thing. I recently stopped accepting friend requests from people I haven't met in real life. And I I switched my personal profile page on Facebook so where people can follow me, mm-hmm. um, but they will only get public posts. And, you know, a few people have like, I've noticed they'll like friend me and I'll, you know, and I don't know them. Uh, and so I'll, you know, kind of ignore the request or delete them, and they'll like try friending me like three more times, um, where I'm like, and I even have a disclaimer, like, please follow, uh, on my, on my little sidebar there on Facebook. Um, but people are used to, you know, I have a number of readers who kind of are like used to just being able to friend me or message me or whatever. And I, I, I'm being a lot more careful about that kind of thing. And it's okay. It's, they're not, they're getting used to it. It's Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, because that's what that's what I feel more comfortable with and I like knowing that the people who see my private messages are my private posts are people I know and I have a relationship with Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
1: I I think this speaks so much to relationship being a two-sided thing and yes we do have relationships with people that we don't know by virtue of putting ourselves out in the world but it's not the same thing it's just a really different category of communication when it's a one-sided I'm just speaking out to a somewhat anonymous group of people
0: yeah I was talking about this with someone I know who he also does a lot of podcasts and you know is really way way more out there than I am in the internet and stuff and he was like oh yeah I remember one time I went and gave a talk and this woman came up to me and she just like looked at me and she was like I really know you (laughs) that's scary (laughs) i mean she maybe she was a stalker or something in addition to just being like weird but he's like it's like one of the weirdest moments of my life no you don't you don't really know me no no i mean
1: i you know i'm I'm speaking as a 30 something year old woman i've had like too many negative in-person interactions with creepy people like yeah yeah no and no i'm not Accepting fun requests, especially from random dudes on the internet. Nope, 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 nope.
0: <laughs> so, Sarah, I think that this is kind of like a longer conversation and oh, we could for keep sure. talking yeah. about this. But for me, I know that just like to kind of wrap things up, like I know that for this second book, I want to be thinking a lot more conscientiously, not only about what my readers want and are expecting from my book, but what I expect of myself and what I feel comfortable mm-hmm. with myself. And, um, I also think I want to read Brene Brown's Dare to Lead and maybe we can follow up can on that. Revisit book revisit it. The future. Yeah. 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 That would be pretty great. And you're kind of, are you thinking about some of this? Cause you're working on your book too.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is, this whole episode is me like trying to not dominate the conversation with like, well, in my book, I'm talking about
0: Sarah's book is about vulnerability,
1: among yeah. other things. Mm-hmm. Among other things. And but I've been put it very simply. Yeah. 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 And, um, there are, so many problems and wonderful things about it. And I'm I'm sure we'll be coming back to this quite a quite a bit.
0: I hope so. Because it's, it's something I, like I said, I wish I would have thought more about earlier in my mm-hmm. writing career, but it's never too late. And I'm still pretty early in my writing career. So, you know, I think
1: some of this is kind of how 10 years ago, people were, were like, Oh, of course, I'll put photos of my children all over the internet. <sighs> and now people are like, wait a second (laughs) (laughs) and it's not like people were acting with bad intentions 10 years ago it's just like this growing into like this realization of oh this is different than i thought it was oh not that anything bad has come of this but i don't see any upside to this i wish i had thought about this from the beginning
0: as soon as i put my pictures online they're someone else's property what Mm, oh, wait, yeah. I just put my child's full name next to their picture of them taking their first bath? What?
1: Mm, 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 mm.
0: Yeah, a lot of things that people – I mean, I, I for sure didn't think
1: about 10 years ago when I first yeah. got a Facebook account. Like, I didn't, I didn't think about that. Uh, yeah.
0: So I want to hear from readers – I would be interested to hear from readers, like, what does it mean to be yourself in your writing for you? And also, how have you grown into that self-awareness? in your writing how do you make being yourself your own in a professional way Mm -hmm. in a way that feels good for you long term no matter where your profession goes and how big your career gets and now we've come to tips and tools a segment about building better writing systems one small step at a time this week sarah you're talking to us about a to-do list strategy Yes, it's a very
1: simple one, but one that I use all the time. I number my to-do list, specifically my daily to-do list or even my hourly to-do list, because sometimes I'll write out like 10 emails that I have to do, and then I number the order that I'm going to do them in. And the reason I do this is to, one, get my executive function going and saying, this is what I'm going to do, and then like go into implementation mode. Like I've I've decided what I'm going to do. Now I'm going to do it and kind of separate those two things. And then by doing that, I'm preventing myself from having to make a decision every time I finish a task. Mm. So like I write email number one, and then I don't have to think, oh, what am I going to do next? Which am I going to do next? Oh, maybe I'll just scroll, scroll through the internet. No, I just go, oh, well, what's number two? Okay, I'm going to do that. Oh, what's number three? Now I'm going to do that. And I don't have that gap. The other thing that I love about this is that it makes the whole group of numbers a single task in a way. Like I've written one email, I've written another one, but I'm not finished until I do all of it rather than just like one thing. So it really helps me stay focused and stay on track for what I have to do in a day.
0: It also kind of shifts the burden a bit. It it can feel really overwhelming to think I have to do 15 things or even just 5 things, but if you think mm-hmm. I have to do one big thing that consists of multiple parts even though those multiple parts are kind of distinct tasks it's like a Mm -hmm. mind trick to get yourself into the Mm -hmm. task zone yeah it's the whole like
1: breaking your project down into a lot of little things like it's not um clean the living room it's this and this and this and this and and they and together all those discrete tasks add up to one thing
0: yep that sounds great i'm gonna try it a bit this week we'll see how it goes So this is the part of the show where we would normally give an update on our writing projects, but unfortunately we're recording two episodes at once today since we had some sound problems when we tried to record this episode a few weeks ago and we thought we would spare you all um, the sound of deafening static every five seconds in the episode. Yeah, kind of problem. (laughs) We just love you guys. So we'll be back in two weeks, the next big episode with an update on our writing projects. And that's it for this week's installment of Writing on Wednesdays. You can find show notes at writingonwednesdays.com and look for episode 13. And stick around. Next week, I'll be hosting a middle so talking about the most dangerous writing app. Or as I like to think of it, the most terrifying writing app that I would never in a million years use. <laughs> I'm getting anxious just thinking about it. (laughs) If you're enjoying the Writing on Wednesdays podcast, please share this show with your writing friends and rate and review on iTunes. It helps others find the show. Very important. If you'd like to connect with other writers like you, join our Facebook group
1: by searching for Writing on Wednesdays. Until next Wednesday, happy writing. Happy writing.